online advertising enables free content and services on the internet. One of the free services that is powered by advertising is the browser. 60% of web browsing is done through Chrome, which is owned by Google, which is powered by advertising. The application that most of us use to explore the web is made by a company that relies on ads. So it is unsurprising that the default of that browser is to allow close tracking of user behavior. When you hit a website, a variety of trackers are logging your data for the purpose of serving you better ads. Some people don't like ads, and they don't like being tracked. But what's the alternative? How else can we get all the content we want? Since the 90s, engineers have envisioned an internet powered by micropayments. A micropayment system in your browser would allow users to pay for content with money instead of ad tech. Brave is a web browser built with a modern view of advertising, privacy, and economics. Brave users can pay for content with their money or by paying attention to ads. This system is formalized through the basic attention token, a cryptocurrency that can be used to purchase user attention, which is essentially what advertisers want to do. Jonathan Sampson is a senior developer relations specialist with Brave Software, and he joins the show to talk about the problems with the modern browsing experience and what Brave is doing to stop it. If you like this episode, we've done several other shows about privacy, and we did a previous show about Brave and WebAssembly with Brendan Eich, who is the CEO of Brave. If you want to find these old episodes, you can download the Software Engineering Daily app for iOS. You can easily discover old episodes that might interest you and get recommendations based on what you have listened to so far. The app is open source. It's at github.com slash software engineering daily. And if you want to contribute to it, we would love that. There's also several other apps you can contribute to. We've got a web front end. We've got an Android app that hopefully we will get out the door soon for you Android listeners. And we've got a backend recommendation system API. So this is an ecosystem that we're hoping to build out, and we would love to get your contribution if you like to hack on open source software. You can go to github.com slash softwareengineeringdaily. And with that, let's get on with this episode. Jonathan Sampson is a senior developer relations specialist with Brave Software. Jonathan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. We had a show with Brendan Ike, who's the CEO of Brave, a while back, and it was really fascinating. In that show, we mo- mostly focused on WebAssembly and the future of the web. In this episode, we're more talking about what Brave is doing on the browser platform. But before we get to the browser itself, let's talk about the state of the web as most people see it. What are the biggest problems with the modern web? Well, you know, you see kind of in the last, I don't know, six years, seven years or so, this this gradual rise of ad blockers and stuff like that, because the web itself has largely been free to many of us. You know, we pay to get the access through our local ISP, but for the most part, we don't pay for many of the services and content that we consume on the web. And so those, you know, uh, content providers and creators, they've turned to fairly, you know, decent models of advertising online. And it's been it's been pretty nice for the most part. And you know, I think Brendan has maybe mentioned in, in several podcasts how this was just an accident of the web as well, the, the way in which that uh, you know, ads and tracking and stuff has kind of uh, proliferated over the years. But things have really gotten kind of out of hand, and so now you have ads that are 
coming packed with uh, you know very burdensome scripts. Uh, sometimes they have nefarious purposes. They're tracking you. They're tracking you. Know, many of them can be actually looking into your file system to figure out what type of programs you're running. And so this type of thing is just growing more and more out of control. And uh, this is the the very thing that you know various ad blockers have started to try and answer. You know, various you know people typically run those in their browser today. Um, but Brave decided to go one step further and actually build a browser that is engineered to kind of restore quality to the web uh, and and you know free the the user from the the burden of uh, these burdensome ads and trackers. And so that's what we're working on today. Hmm. Yeah. So I've been reporting on the fraud in the advertising business, the online advertising business, a lot. Yeah. And uh, it's it, that's pretty disconcerting. The main victims of advertising fraud are actually the advertisers themselves because mm-hmm. they end up paying for display advertising that is only viewed by bots or mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it's you know the the reporting that the advertising agency or the uh, tech ad tech company delivers back to the advertiser says, "Oh yeah, we showed it to this user." But in reality, the display was hidden behind another ad. I've seen all kinds of scams like this. You're actually talking about the user side problems of this, where there, you know, when ads actually get delivered to a user, a user does see the ad, but the ad is an agent for malware or tracking, or it's it's not even like you know, you're not even getting really shown, you know, buy this kind of soap or buy this cereal or buy this soft drink. It's like uh, the advertising is just this third party platform for brokering information and uh, diving into the user's computer. The the issue is definitely multifaceted. You know, there is a there are issues that plague the end user. There are issues that plague the advertiser. There are issues that actually plague everyone and just across the spectrum. And so the first thing that Brave set out to do was build a browser which would kind of come to the aid of the end user, give them the ability to free themselves of you know what's happening. And so as you mentioned, you know there are you know, a lot of ads that are coming down, and sometimes the user doesn't even see them. In fact, a lot of the time, it's not even ads that are, are the problem. And so, you know, if you look into, I think it was New York Times did a study where um, up to 50% of your mobile data uh, was ads and trackers. So it may not even be something that you're seeing on your screen that is eating up your battery life, chewing through your data usage, and ultimately costing you, you know, for most phone users, you know, tens of dollars. I think it was about $23 or so a month on average for ads and trackers. And so the, the problem has gotten really out of hand on that side of the spectrum. But then as you're pointing out, there's a lot of fraud and there's a lot of people being hurt who are trying to conduct legitimate business uh, and, and you know bring their products to market. And it's it's really something that, you know, we've been kind of looking at full spectrum. And so, you know, we launched uh, the attention token, which is a way to kind of address the other end of the spectrum. You know, for users who do want to engage in the ad market, how can we ensure that it's, uh, you know, proper and fair and works uh, equitably for for everybody uh, all across the board. And so that's uh, definitely another area we're looking into. And that's on basicattentiontoken.org for anyone who wants more information about that particular side of the thing. I'd love to get into the basic attention token a little bit later. Talking more about the modern web, most of the sites that I spend significant time on throughout the internet, they have their advertisements and their load times under control. I use Mm -hmm. Twitter, I use Facebook, I use Quora. 
there are many times when I'm browsing one of these walled gardens and I click on uh, an external link and it's it is kind of painful that load time to the uh, to you know whatever the the media site that's often hosted on WordPress or uh, perhaps it's use well yeah usually it's a WordPress site usually it goes out to a WordPress site but the WordPress site has all these ads and stuff in it or it's or it's some other CMS just it hasn't been engineered right and the you know the the engineers have just put blobs and blobs of JavaScript that make it load slowly. But again, most of my time is spent on these walled gardens that keep the site pretty clean and performant. Do you see problems with those walled garden sites, or is the is the concern of the 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 problematic ads ecosystem does that mostly exist more across what we call like the open web, which is like these WordPress sites and these other CMSs and these news sites? Well, that's, you know, performance is one thing. And it's nice when sites have very performant, you know, ad structures and everything. They're not actually bogging the page down. They're not causing it, you know, to have any unnecessary jank to load ads and trackers. But at the end of the day, even if someone is loading bad code very efficiently, there's still a problem. And so we want to make sure that users are not being leveraged against their will, that they're not being pried upon, they're not uh, having their, their machine scrutinized, if even done efficiently. And so there's there's that part of the the problem where they're still doing some fairly nefarious things. Um, they're still, you know, selling ads to outside agencies who are able to do some very terrible things as well. And then there's also the issue for for advertisers. You know, you have this giant duopoly forming where pretty much all of the ads online are are handled through Google and through Facebook, and that causes other types of problems as well for for people. And so you know it's. Performance is definitely a very important thing, but it, that's just the, I guess, the facade of the issue. It's the very first layer that, that needs to be examined. And once that's examined and uh, kind of done away with, there are still a few other considerations that need to be given always in this area. Hmm. The thing that excites me so much about Brave, well, one of the things is this notion that it will become much easier to do micropayments across the internet. And I think we're seeing a germ of how useful this is with Patreon. Patreon is this platform where you can subscribe to pay people on a regular basis to produce content. And it's it's really a promising sign that so many uh, content producers are actually able to make a total living off of Patreon. And, you know, I I think Brendan, who, again, is the, the CEO of Brave... I think when he was working on Netscape back in the day, he was one of the earliest engineers at Netscape where he helped build JavaScript or architected JavaScript. I think they were trying to do something with micropayments, but they couldn't figure out how to make it work. Is that accurate? What's the history of micropayments in the browser? You know, I'm not actually uh, positive about the Netscape days. Okay. Um, you know, back then, the, the vast majority of online commerce to in my experience and this was actually a few years later about 96 97 was largely paypal you know they had popped in kind of in parallel to ebay and stuff and, and became the de facto standard for online payments and, and sending money around but that, that is fascinating i have to check with brendan and see what what exactly they're working on but you know as you mentioned today you have this um you know people have been seeking out alternative ways to support content creators and and maybe even more directly than just, you know, through ads and stuff where they only catch a, a very small percentage sometimes of the actual revenue itself. 
and uh, the money gets sucked up in third-party players and that type of stuff. But the Patreon model is is definitely very interesting. You know, the ability to make uh, you know continual routine donations to somebody for the work that they're doing, and that's definitely something that we liked in Brave, where. And this this was kind of you know juxtaposed with the fact that we were going to allow people to block ads and trackers, and that is for their safety. But at the same time, that may be a little overstepping than what they're comfortable with, and it may actually start to block uh, you know some good content on the web. You know there are some ads that that are okay. You know for instance, first party ads are generally more safe than third party ads, and so we wanted to give people the ability to still support content creators and support their favorite websites while they're blocking potentially harmful ads that are coming through on those sites. And so Brave Payments was integrated into the browser, and this was initially based on uh, Bitcoin, where we had partnered with the company and you know you could purchase some Bitcoin in the browser, and we, we made it very simple. You didn't have to explain the blockchain, didn't have to explain cryptocurrencies to anybody. You just took your card, you you know, bought $5 worth of Bitcoin, and then you started browsing the web. And I think that was very key to the the success of this model was to make it very simple and straightforward, you know, and, and familiar to people. And so, uh, you know, that whole platform is kind of shifting today to the attention token, which is going to give us far more power. And it's going to make the, you know, there's a, quite a few improvements that are kind of outlined in the white paper on Attention Tokens website, and and more so. But the uh, the model itself is fantastic, letting the users go directly to the content providers and content producers, and that's exactly what we're going to kind of facilitate and foster moving forward. Hmm. People are used to using Safari or more likely Chrome, uh, perhaps Firefox. These are the browsers that people use. They all have plugin platforms. Why do we need a new browser entirely to solve these kinds of issues that we've been discussing? For example, why do we need why do we need a browser instead of an ad blocker? Why do we need a browser to do payments instead of using Patreon to support those users for their payments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a good question. It's one that pretty much everybody has when they hear, "Well, Brave does ad blocking," and then their initial response is, "Well, I have AdBlock Plus." So why do I need that? Uh, and it's a great question. The thing is, you know, ads will get you 90% of the way there, but the ads are still dependent upon the, the underlying API system of the browser and what the browser is willing to permit the ads to do. And in the case of some companies, which make their bread and butter off of ads, there's kind of a conflict of interest there. Will they let you do everything you need to do moving forward? Uh, or will they restrict certain APIs and that type of stuff? And so... By having control over the entire browser itself, from the core out to the externals, all the way up to the the you know ad system or the um, the add-on system, you know we get to make make any changes we see uh, you know, see fit and necessary to to kind of achieve our end goals. And so we just uh, take one of the examples is a lot of people don't like the you know presence the the growing presence of uh, autoplay media on the web. And there wasn't really a great way to stop that inherently at the core. And so we went ahead and made some modifications to the Chromium engine itself inside Brave so that we could prevent autoplay media from you know, ruining your web experience as you just pop into a website. That's not something we'd be able to do as effectively if we were just an extension on top of the browser. And so by having that additional uh, kind of reach into the core of the browser, we can definitely go you know, leaps and bounds further than mere extensions can uh, in all across the board. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that 
Brave is an ex- is a it's a fork of the Chromium browser, which is the I think the core of Google's Chrome browser. What are the pros and cons of using Chromium as the basis to build a new browser on top of? Well, so as many people know, Chrome is the number one browser on the web today. Not nearly as successful as IE was back in the 90s, but they're doing extremely well. And as a result, people kind of expect the web to work the way it works in the in the engine that they use, which theirs is called Blink. It's, it is itself uh, a derivation of uh, the Chromium engine. And so the idea there is we want to achieve maximum web compatibility. We want the new browser to just start working out of the box for people to work the way they've always expected the web to work so they don't have a bunch of broken pages and, and other issues. And so you know, Chromium was kind of the, the default standard or the de facto standard on the web. And so that's what we decided to, to move forward with. I think there might have been some early engineering efforts around trying to use you know, Firefox internals and build off of uh, the work over there. Uh, but the decision was made to go ahead and proceed down with, with Chromium. And so what we wound up doing was forking Electron, which was itself a project to bring a native desktop experience you know, for applications built upon web technologies. So they use the V8 JavaScript engine, and they use the Blink engine from Chrome, and they let you build uh, you know, seemingly native applications on the desktop from web technologies like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And so we decided to actually fork Electron, and today that became Muon. And so, you know, we continue to build upon the efforts of many of the great engineers working in this space, and it's it's really a kind of a nice relationship. We get to inherit a lot of the great work they do as we discover bugs and, and you know, features that need to be worked on in the browser and in the core engines. We can send those back upstream to the um, to other projects. And so it's kind of that, you know, beautiful symbiotic relationship uh, that we see uh, in nature. Mm. So... So Chrome eventually gets to reap some of the benefits of the engineering efforts of the Brave team. If if they're interested in pulling them in, uh, we have sent them up to uh, Electron uh, in the past. For instance, when we find a, a bug in the Electron uh, you know, source code and stuff. Mm. But if we find an issue in Chromium as well, that is definitely something that we have the opportunity of floating up to them and you know, if it gets accepted, that it gets accepted. Uh, but we, I think we have more uh, accepted, you know, pull requests from Electron than we do Chromium, to my knowledge, though. Hmm. Which benefits other applications like Slack and uh, Discord and stuff like that that are, you know, working on those those technologies. Absolutely. It's an interesting point that you, that you use Electron to build off of. Uh, what does Electron satisfy that chromium does not satisfy i guess i'm i'm interested in in understanding the uh, venn diagram between electron and and chromium so electron is a superset basically of chromium it is chromium but it is also some additional uh, bindings and stuff on top of it and it's basically just a means by which any web developer and, and i mean that literally any web developer out there can build their own desktop application using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Whereas, you know, with um, with other you know various browsers, I've worked on a couple in the past as well, or one in particular in the past. You have to learn a, a whole nother set of technologies in order to work on the UI, and you've got to be a C programmer, and you have to do quite a bit of other you know uh, things to really be successful in working on that browser. With Brave. Uh, it is basically a super web page. So if anyone's running Brave right now and you pressed Shift F8, you would notice that it opens up 
familiar dev tools. What you're used to seeing if you're inside Chrome and you, you know, right click and go to inspect element, you'd actually see the, the dev tools for the DOM of the browser itself. And so Brave is a React JavaScript application using JSX uh, instead of HTML. And it is uh, letting us use all these familiar and time-tested uh, technologies uh, that have been operating websites and web applications for many years to actually build a browser itself. And that's, that's something that made possible by the initial efforts of the uh, Electron team. Well, that's incredible. I didn't know that Brave used React at its core for the UI. You know, this is somewhat of a tangent, but I'm sure you have been seeing the debates over the Apache license for React. So people are concerned because... I think I'm not totally up to date on this, but Facebook chose not to give a very open licensing to React, and so there are some open source uh, ideologues that are arguing that if you want your project to be safe from Facebook filing a, a lawsuit against you of some kind, uh, you should not use React. H have you been following this at all? I personally have it. Uh, the vast majority of my focus is around engineering efforts, but that is, I, I'm certain if there is a discussion in that space that we have someone who's probably looking into that. Hmm. So I, I wouldn't, I'm not too concerned about it, but uh, I definitely could find someone probably on the team that, you know, is, is thinking more along those lines than I am. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so Brave blocks ads by default, I believe. And I think in that process, it's, Sometimes you make a mistake in terms of what you block and what you prevent the page from loading. I know my Adblock Plus occasionally, you know, I go to a page and it's like the page doesn't load properly or like a fraction of the page loads. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And I'm like, okay, disable Adblock for this page. And then it actually works. So I know that like the ad blocking process is not perfect. What are the heuristics that Brave uses to block ads? Like for any HTML element, how do you know that that's an ad? So there are a couple of different efforts in this space, uh, typically around blo ad blocking. There are the network level uh, heuristics where you're trying to infer based upon the request and the response of this is something that needs to be loaded on the user's machine. And then there's the, the DOM level or that UI space that you're talking about where you're examining and scrutinizing the actual document object model itself or the on-screen elements to say, okay, does this really need to be here? Uh, in particular, you might have a a container for a banner that got blocked and now the banner is just sitting there vacant and, and empty and you might actually want to close those too. And so you have those aesthetic and those uh, network uh, level heuristics. And so at the high level, what Brave does is we typically block, it's more you know, in general, all third party ads. So if you're on foo.com and you know something is trying to be loaded from bar.com, uh, we typically block that. And so if you're loading first-party ads, you'll probably not see any interruption to your ad ecosystem at all because we typically leave first-party ads alone. One of the things that we do, though, is the, the ad blocking that takes place in things like Adblock Plus and some of the other um, ad blocking utilities, those operate off of public lists. And so we're able to consume the same lists themselves. And these lists are you know uh, curated and, and maintained by the community. So... There's a great deal of uh, distributed effort and, and crowdsourcing that goes into this. And that's one of the levels as well that we take in consideration. You know, we'll be scrutinizing the list and see if the URL that, you know, is 
is serving the ad is a known offender, that they're serving something malicious, and then we can block based on that. We also do some other things where we might permit script to be loaded on the machine, but then we're going to scrutinize it as it's operating. And so another thing that you'll see in the ad ecosystem is fingerprinting, where particular ads want to track uh, you specifically as you move around on the web. And so they want to learn as much information about you as possible. And one of those things that they can do is uh, generate a unique hash from uh, you know Canvas API or something like that. And, uh, and so this digital fingerprinting takes place and we look for those types of things as well and we prevent them before they run. And that way you are not, uh, you are not distinct from the rest of the traffic online so that people can't track you particularly around the web. And so there's a couple different uh, you know, steps inside there. The application of publicly consumable lists, you know, those network level heuristics, uh, looking at the actual code in operation whenever it's running or an execution rather, and blocking some of the malicious patterns that we typically see there as well. Hmm. Let's get into the basic attention token. Explain what the basic attention token is. So as we were talking before, there's uh, this entire ecosystem online of ads, uh, and, and this is basically, it's the way the web works. And, uh, you know, you can love it or hate it, but you can't really do anything about it. The way web operates on ads. Uh, but there's a great deal of fraud as you mentioned before, there's a great deal of burdensome performance issues and invasive tracking in ads. And that is one of the space that Brave uh, has kind of introduced the attention token, which is this attempt to reform this ad tech industry and, and make it good again, you know, so that's it's gotten kind of wayward a little bit. And so the attention token is a blockchain-based blockchain uh, means by which we can ensure, you know, better quality ads, we can ensure no leaking of user data whenever we're trying to match users to ads. If and this is an entirely opt-in system, I should say, at the very beginning here. Uh, so this is not something we're just going to turn on on Brave and people will start seeing ads. But it's basically the effort to, to, to fix the evil ad tech online. So if I'm someone with a basic attention token in my wallet, what can I do with that? So ideally, it's going to continue to work the way Brave Payments has worked in the past, uh, where you can just continue browsing. And let's say you have, you know, uh, five bats or basic attention tokens in your wallet. And at the end of the month, we can say, okay, you've visited, you know, these 40 websites. You spent this, you know, this amount of time on each website. We'll actually break it down into percentages and stuff. And you can say, okay, I want to distribute, you know, my monthly allowance of bats to these sites proportional to the amount of time I spent on them. You could do that, or you could actually say, you know, there's one site in particular I really love. I want to donate, you know, five bat to, to Wikipedia every month because I go to Wikipedia all the time. I want to make sure they always get five bat every month. So you could actually set up a, a, a fixed amount recurring donation as well. You could uh, actually... In addition to the, the regular monthly payment, you can make donations to websites as well. Actually support people uh, just out of the goodness of your heart because you want to. And so we're trying to really offset uh, the, the dependence upon the old ad tech uh, model and create something new that's sustainable and has legs and is going to run. And so in parallel to this, one of the things we're going to be doing with actually a, a new ad model is and I mentioned this before without the uh, without having to leak information about users and user machines is engage in local client side machine learning so actually being able to inside the browser examine where you go what you look at uh, how you browse 
and do it in such a way that nobody knows. And that includes Brave, Brave software. We, we don't get access to any information from your browser as well. And uh, this is great because it allows you to opt into an ad system that is going to be catered to your browsing needs, to your interests, and it's going to do so without leaking information about who you are you know, to, the, to the web itself, which is what happens today. And so it's, it's definitely a very exciting model. You know, we're, we're making great strides. We released a roadmap you know, recently on the BAT website, basicattentiontoken.org. And uh, people can go there and see basically what we're expecting to have accomplished and, and when we're expecting to have accomplished it. What's the difference between paying for content with dollars through micropayments in the browser and paying for content with basic attention token? There are, I guess, numerous differences, but one of the great things that I like about uh, blockchain-based solutions, uh, and that is you know, the BAT itself is based on, uh, I believe it's the ERC-20 token uh, model standard. And one of the great things about this is, is it is nearly instantaneous transfer of uh, you know BATs in this case, and uh, there's very little overhead. So we had set up before where you could purchase Bitcoin. And this was you know, requiring you to spend some of your money and stuff. We wound up noticing that the cost to purchase Bitcoin and such, that this cost was just going up exorbitantly because there are credit card processing fees and all this type of stuff. And uh, it just, it kind of gets out of hand. And mm. so with, with BAT, you don't have to worry about making credit card transactions. You don't have to worry about you know, those happening every month. You don't have to worry about middlemen you know, jacking up their prices. You just have this decentralized ledger, and I can now transfer, you know, five bat to Jeff, and uh, I don't have to worry about paying a, a great deal of overhead. You know, there are obviously, if you're a miner in the community, uh, not a miner as in you're underage, but if you're a miner as in someone who has a node on the network who's actually, you know, performing the the math work, there's a little bit of you know added money in there for you, and you know, I, I'm not quite sure if we're going to have the same concept of gas uh, that Ethereum has, but uh, there's always different ways that people can make a little bit of extra money on the side. But you know, the, the appeal to me is we don't have the burden of the old system and the way in which it works. You know, I don't have to worry about paying 3% or 5% or something like that in order to make simple transactions between me and one other individual. Hmm. The property of being able to make simple transactions without going to the credit card processing world or something like that, that makes complete sense. And I would love to have that in my browser to do micropayments without having this onerous transaction cost. Couldn't I do the same thing with... So I guess I'm, it's unclear to me why I can't do that with Ethereum or Bitcoin. I, mean, I would think like if I sit down to, to Brave and I'm like, okay, I'm going to browse... I'm going to use Brave as my browser for the next three months... And so I'm just going to buy $30 in Ethereum or Bitcoin or basic attention token. What's the difference between basic attention token and the other two offerings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a, a, a more technical topic that I don't know that I would be the best person to discuss. Um, and so I, all I could do is point people to our white paper. My focus again is, is generally on development and Brave, but I have a growing interest in the blockchain-based technologies. And you know, that itself is something that... Is, is something that we get to control within the, the ad ecosystem. It's built specifically for reforming the ad tech industry. Mm. And so there's a lot of nuances and everything that would be outlined in the white paper that I, 
I don't know that I would be the best person to to kind of cover that. Well, I mean, yeah, just some hypothetical things based off of what you just said. Like, you know, if I if I'm a publisher and and there's an advertiser that wants to air an ad on my website, and uh, the the user and I want to verify the user that viewed that ad, uh, if I want to have an end to end vettable transaction system then it would make sense to have a domain specific blockchain for you know even if it's just like the ledger of transactions is not just like the financial the financial transaction that occurs but it's also the attention transaction that occurs i mean part of the problem that occurs with the current ad tech model is that there's a lot of middlemen and you know when when you when there's an impression that's going to be served to somebody there might be three or four different players between the advertiser and the person who is seeing the ad and the transactions uh, the the middleman transactions between the person and the person uh, the person and the advertiser who's trying to show the ad to that person it's an opaque handoff of different of information from from person A to person B and uh, and in that opacity, there is so much room for fraud. That's the problem. So, you know, I'm just riffing here. Maybe I should probably do another show about the basic attention token. But I can think of all kinds of applications that would help to bring transparency or even just standardization to a world that is very much unstandardized or it's standardized only to the extent that it can exploit the advertiser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're you're hitting the nail right on the head as well, because if anyone is kind of curious about that general model and some of the problems that the, the bat you know, aims to fix, there is a short you know two-minute video or something like that on basicattentiontoken.org uh, where Brendan Eich himself actually kind of sits down and talks very high level about the project and its, its, uh, its goals and aims. And as you pointed out, there's just the system is unfortunately fraught with, uh, with fraud and middleman, and it's it's pretty nasty when you start to you know peel back the covers and look at it, and so there's definitely a great deal of potential for Bat to to do some some serious good in that space, and uh, we're very very excited about moving forward with it. This again might not be something you are sure about, but is there a role for the middlemen ad tech companies in 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 the world that that Bat and Brave are trying to create? You know, for middlemen, I'm I'm not really quite sure. the The idea behind a, a more simplified advertising model is you have the you know advertiser, you have yeah. the end user, you have the content producer, and it's yeah. just this simple harmonious relationship, yes. not burdened by a bunch of additional stuff sitting on the network. Yes. And so the idea is to kind of restore that simplicity and and get away from you know the, the more complex uh, you know thing that has grown out of that over the you know the last decade or so and so yeah it's it's a great question you know advertising isn't my forte mm-hmm. uh, but it's something I'm, I'm very much interested in obviously it's a very close effort to the brave project and so i, I kind of watch with uh, eager anticipation of it you know I, I was sitting at a friend's house the other night and uh, he is a, a non-technical friend who happened to have stumbled onto a, a bitcoin documentary and uh, he called me up at 1 15 a.m in the morning or so and it was like you, you got to come over i gotta i gotta talk about blockchain and so uh i went over to his house at 1 15 and we just sat there you know talking about the blockchain <laughs> itself and and why it's so exciting you know how this type of technology is really revolutionizing many older industries not the least of which is the ad tech industry 
And so, you know, the idea of having uh, the stability and the accountability that comes with a pseudonymous blockchain uh, is is very winsome. It's very appealing. And so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to continuing to watch the, the bat mature and proliferate and, and kind of, you know, fix the web for everybody. I think I saw your tweet about that. He wanted to meet you at IHOP or Waffle House or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> talk about blockchain. Yeah, this is this guy is he's hardcore. You know, if he can get you at a Waffle House at two thirty in the morning to scratch out ideas on the back of a napkin, he will. And so, uh, you know, we we definitely all need to have a friend like that. Of course, uh, I think I have been that friend, <laughs> uh, and more than I've uh, been on the anyway. So uh, the tracking stuff, you know, tracking is one of these things where many times it's doing you a disservice. Sometimes it is doing you you know, positive service. So like when I'm browsing the internet and for example, Amazon is tracking me through the internet and Amazon ads, Amazon, it seems like has really started to spend a lot of money on advertising online because I know this because I'm seeing more and more display ads for Amazon. And it's like an item that like does appeal to me. And it's kind of useful because I'm like, yeah, I actually kind of do want that. And I'm willing to I'm almost willing to click on an Amazon ad because I know it's just going to take me to Amazon, which is like, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. I don't have a <laughs> negative affiliation with Amazon. And I'm just bringing this up as an example to illustrate that not all tracking is the worst. There is some track. There's a lot of tracking that's really terrible. And, you know, for all the, for all the complaints that people have about uh, Google or Facebook surveilling you, at least these companies have a little bit more of a long-term interest in protecting your information there are much sleazier players that you've never heard of that have as much information as they need to ruin your life uh, as Facebook or Google does. But all of these companies want to track you through the internet. And, you know, in some cases like Amazon or Facebook or Google, there could be a lot of utility. Like I I think that, or or maybe you can tell me to what degree Facebook or Google needs to track you through the internet in order for you to be able to authenticate with them. Because, like, when I authenticate, like, I enjoy authenticating with Google or authenticating with Facebook because it's a seamless experience. I don't have to enter my password a bazillion times. That seems like a positive. Do mm-hmm. do does does Google and Facebook need to track me through the internet in order for me to get that positive login experience? I don't think so. I'll go with the first thing um, primarily. So the idea of tracking itself, I don't know that anyone likes tracking in principle. You know, that is quite literally someone just stalking you around the web. I think we like what we sometimes get from the tracking, which is that more better targeted ads. And so we like the fact that, well, if you're walking behind me everywhere I go and you're observing everything I do, you're going to learn a great deal about me. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm leaking a bunch of information to you, the advertiser, or to you, the, the person selling the ads. And so it's it's kind of, you know, one step forward, two step back type of thing. And what we did at Brave is we're actually thinking, well, is there a way to have that targeting where you get the ads that you actually want without leaking all of that information about yourself, about where you go, about what you search for, about where you're you know purchasing things? Because, you know, this is hopped off of the web, and now large companies, I think Alphabet has access to a massive amount of credit card transactions or, or some meta information about credit card purchases at this point now. And they can basically tell what you're buying, where you're buying it uh, with your, your physical card in hand. And so, you know, this this whole thing kind of reminds me of that episode of The Office where Oscar 
was doing ads for abs and, and he was watching uh, some <laughs> documentary on the phone. And uh, anytime ads would come on, he would go and he would you know blast his abs. And uh, the way that he uh, actually did it was by hanging upside down from like a chin-up bar with these uh, these gravity boots or something, uh, which he says he found through an ad themselves. So, you know, ads brought him a product that he liked, uh, but he also didn't want to continue to subject himself to ads and tracking online. And so I think that's what we're looking at is how can we get the same benefits of that for people who want to have targeted ads uh, without leaking that information. And that's one of the areas in which uh, machine learning client side within your browser itself uh, is going to be far more powerful and far more impactful than any you know malicious tracking or, or any of this, uh, I would say, unethical tracking has ever been. Mm. Because machine learning is happening inside the browser. The browser knows so much more than what can be leaked out you know, through cookies and that type of information. The browser knows how you scroll. The browser knows, you know, what you look at, where you're typing, how much, you know, what your uh, your behavioral characteristics are when you're interacting with the web. Uh, it knows, you know, what percentage of an ad is on screen, and it knows whether or not, you know, ads are occluded by other elements on the page, as you mentioned before. You know, the, the browser itself is the oracle in this space, and and it really could be leveraged for people who want to have better targeted ads. Uh, to achieve that without having to share and, and overly divulge information about themselves to just, you know, out to anybody on the web, middlemen included. I like the idea of the client side machine learning. How much of that is has been engineered at this point? Are you, uh, is the, the Brave team just thinking about that? Because I can imagine there would be an issue of because you know you need a model, right? You you're training a model over time, and if you're doing it client side, I guess you wouldn't necessarily have to keep the model client side. You could potentially have the model sitting in the cloud somewhere, and the model is somewhat opaque. And then you have new information that comes in and gets processed client side, and you figure out how that new information would update the model, and you can update the model in the cloud, and you can do all that without actually sending the raw information back to Brave, uh, maybe you could just shed some more light on the uh, the engineering or at least the intentions or the plans of the Brave team around that client-side machine learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the end goal is to do everything we can without leaking anything. You know, that's that's currently the goal with uh, what we have implemented today. You know, this the entire process of this machine learning development effort is laid out in the roadmap that was published on the basicattentiontoken.org. The first phase is actually already done. So you ask, you know, what is the development process here? The first phase is actually already done. And that was, you know, kind of finished in the Brave Payments feature that was launched in the browser quite a while back, which means that the browser actually has the ability to track where you're going and, you know, how much time you spend on which sites and do so without leaking that information out to anybody else. And then that in turn can translate into a micro donation at the end of the month or something like that. So this is going to continue to develop, and the, the actual you know expected steps are outlined in the roadmap itself. So you'll see we're going to start from just the that primitive basic attention you know recording that we're doing right now, and moving forward to a finer, more granular uh, process whereby we can actually track, okay, what types of ads are they interested in? Are they interacting with? How long are those ads on screen? Are they occluded by anything else? Are they visible? And it's going to get a lot better, you know, a lot quicker, and it's going to be a really fantastic. And so we, that's all laid out in the roadmap again, and that's actually coming very, very soon. That's going to see the next uh, development of that. Hmm. 
From your point of view, how does WebAssembly affect the future of browsers? You know, the, the WebAssembly is actually really exciting because it starts to build bridges where they, they didn't previously exist. You know, you, the idea that you can actually cross-compile languages to, to operate on the web. And I, I kind of expect to see that, you know, pop up more and more in the future. You know, I, I spoke uh, last year about do I expect JavaScript to to cease to exist, basically, uh, you know, as we typically have written it, and WebAssembly just to take over. And I don't think that's the case. I think what we'll start to see are, especially in the area of like machine learning, that might be an area which is, you know, ripe for potential for some of these, you know, languages like C and C++ and stuff to actually cross-compile over into code that can actually run in the browser more efficiently and effectively than, than if someone had written it in JavaScript to begin with. And so as browsers continue to do more and more heavy lifting, uh, you know, things that require more and more power and processing. I think that is definitely an area that is ripe with uh, great potential in that space. Mm. Do you see any fundamental changes to the browser coming as computing becomes more about voice interfaces? Uh, you know, that's a really tough one. I'm really into VR. Uh, my son and I, we wanted to get a, an Oculus Rift, and so we purchased that, and he loves playing video games, and I love some of the productivity apps. And so there's an app on there called Big Screen, which lets you, you know, basically use your desktop in a virtual space. The great thing is you can actually take your your small 13, 15 inch screen and you can make it a 75 inch screen right wow. in front of you curved around your head. And it's amazing. The resolution is nice and everything. The problem is you can't see your keyboard. So, you know, if your hands float off the home row or something <laughs> uh, or you're trying to reach over for your oh. numpad, you're, you can't really do a whole lot. And so... You know, they, they find ways to work around that by adding an on-screen keyboard and stuff that you can just, you know, it's basically the, uh, you know, hunt and peck method where you have two sticks and you can just poke buttons on the keyboard. But the voice uh, interface there is, is really interesting because that would be a natural extension of what we're already used to. You know, even as far back to, I think, the 90s, we had the Dragon Naturally Speaking software where you would sit down and train your computer to understand your voice and you know, Microsoft recently announced, I think, that they have their error rate down to 5% or something mm-hmm. with a speech recognition. And so it's getting better and better. And, of course, with the, the advent and the growth of all of these digital assistants, you know, with Cortana and, and you know, the Echo, I have to be sure not to say the other word, other else I'll trigger my house. Yes. And uh, <laughs> But, you know, it is definitely a, a natural interface and so I, I firmly expect to see, you know, that continue to develop. It's it's already come quite a ways in the accessibility community. And so it seems only natural that it will continue to bleed over into uh, the general community at large and uh, develop there as well. Mm. So totally unrelated to Brave, but how productive are you when you do the VR thing? Because this is what I kind of dream about is like, well, this... You know, when I think about what would I actually want out of VR is like putting on a headset and having browsers, like being surrounded by browsers and being able to be productive without, you know, just staring into this rectangle on my yeah. on my desk. But the, then the the of course the downside is I'm then I'm fully immersed and who knows what the health risks of that are. Yeah, I mean, so far it's it's been pretty decent for me. I don't uh, spend any more than maybe thirty minutes to an hour uh, at a time uh, in in the VR headset. I'd say the biggest issue is just the lenses fogging up, and then you 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 start to lose some of your visibility. There's also an issue of of uh, resolution. So, you know, while I can use Brave in my VR headset, 
for things like navigating GitHub, you know, reading issues, uh, closing issues, that kind of stuff. It's a little more difficult to use it for you know, actual programming, going into Visual Studio Code and, and writing some JavaScript, for instance. Primarily because, as I mentioned before, you can't see your keyboard. And secondarily, because the resolution is, is fairly low, and so it's, it's more noticeable when you're looking at ligatures and characters on the screen and that type of stuff. Uh, it's less noticeable when you're looking at giant buttons or, you know, large paragraphs that have giant font sizes and that kind of thing. And so it's, it is, it's great. It's uh, getting better. It's not quite there. Um, the thing that I'm primarily interested in these days, I guess, would be the augmented reality space and looking at what, like, the HoloLens or something could do. And because those are actually able to project over what you can actually see. So you'll still be able to see your keyboard, still see your mouse, you know, still see the microphone here before me. And you still get the benefit with the uh, of having, you know, a thousand screens all around you and spatially aware as to where you put them and where they're going to remain. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that entire space. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's definitely something that, you know, I've been using Brave in the, the Oculus Rift. And uh, our interest is there as well. You know, wherever you are, we want to be. And so Brave today is available on Windows, Mac OS, Linux, you know, Android, iOS. And if there's an opportunity to, to have a, a virtual version of the browser that just operates in augmented reality or virtual reality, I think that's definitely something we'd explore as well. Mm. Okay. Well, just to wrap up, tell me about how the open source community interacts with Brave. Are there lots of contributors or are most of the contributors from within Brave the company? Well, like with any open source project, so... Um, you know, at Microsoft, we had some open source projects in the past. You know, with Brave, we are largely entirely open source. I think we're actually entirely open source. I don't, I don't think there's anything that we have uh, closed source. You know, Google as well, they have open source technology. But with all these companies, they all have a paid staff, and that staff uh, have become experts in their code base. They know where everything is. So generally, you're going to see this long tail of you know enumerated developers and, and how much they contribute to the project itself. So if you look at that, that first the very front of that graph, uh, there'd be quite a few people who contribute to Blink who are also employed by Google. At Microsoft, you know, same people working on the Chakra engine are also going to be employed by Microsoft. And at Brave, the vast majority of the contributors who have you know one or more contributions are going to be employed by Brave. That being said, we do have a very uh, just awesome community. We have uh, actually, we have community.brave.com where engineers and you know, laypersons can come and discuss the browser itself. We have tons of people who open issues on our behalf. They may not be you know, equipped to go and fix the problem, but they can at least open an issue for us on GitHub and let us know about it. We even have uh, quite a few people who, you know, if they continue to engage the team, we'll pull them into a, a Slack uh, as well so they can actually communicate more directly as if they were one of the team members themselves. But we have a really kind of beautiful community of developers who work with us uh, and who continue to contribute in meaningful ways in the Brave browser itself. Hmm. And not to mention a lot of people who, they have great ideas, and they just want to see if they can integrate it and get it working in Brave. And so we had, uh, for instance, you know, someone wanted to see if they could get WebTorrent working, and now we have uh, the ability to interact with uh, torrents in Brave itself. And so that's that's really exciting. It's built right in. We even have someone looking into the um, IPFS, or the Interplanetary File System, which is a decentralized way to serve websites and files as well and uh, you know we're exploring whether or not that's something that can work inside brave as well and these are all just people in the community who have great ideas and they want to see if it's something that uh, is feasible and uh, by and large it usually is 
and again, that goes back to our access to actually the, the Chromium source and being able to make whatever changes we want internally to accommodate those types of those types of you know eccentric ideas and things that we want to see how we can push the browser even further. So that's very exciting, uh, Jonathan. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been it's been a pleasure talking to you about Brave and the future of browsers. Yeah, it's been my pleasure as well. Thank you for having me.